My name is Odo Judonomi. <clears throat> Today's second Bible reading will be taken from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. This page can be found on page 1226 on the Pew Bible. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and the craftiness people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we all grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself with love as each part does its work. This is God's word. Thank you, Sue. Well, good morning. My name's John. If we haven't met, if we have met, it is still John. It's always been John, never changed. Uh, well, good to see you this evening. We are reflecting on the final of our five values, service-centred members, and, and we remember the action for that, don't we? It's just like you're volunteering. So service-centred members, volunteering. If I see you do that, it means that you're volunteering to help me do my gardening, maybe. So, <laughs> uh, Well, we're going to reflect on this. Do keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be uh, working through this passage But let's uh, now join in prayer and pray that God will help us understand this. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we pray, Lord, that that will be an example for us, that that is what will shape us in our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I wonder whether you know what was... The very first sermon preached in Australia. The very first sermon preached in our land. It was over 230 years ago. Now imagine if that was you, and you got to preach the first sermon, to run the first service in Australia. What would you say? Perhaps having come over all the way from England with about 1,300 people, convicts and marines and civil officers. Perhaps as you explored the land of Australia, you saw how wonderful the land, land was and is. Perhaps the passage you'll pick will be Psalm 19, 
the heavens declare the glory of God. Or maybe as you reflect on the people you have, the first settlers, convicts, perhaps it might be Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, we need his guidance as we begin in this new colony. But do you know what was preached at the very first Christian service in Australia? It was preached by a man by the name of Richard Johnson. He was the chaplain to this settlement, the first chaplain to Australia. He was an evangelical Christian. That means he's a Bible Christian, a gospel Christian. He believed God, a devout Christian, and he lived the life that reflected his faith. And so in the very first sermon, he reflected on the long voyage, and it was a long voyage, 252 days at sea, over 1,300 people, over 16,000 miles in that voyage, and hardly any loss of lives. Eleven vessels arrived safely at Botany Bay. And again, he reflected more on just the journey, what God has done for him and those who believe in Jesus Christ. Hope to the hopeless, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the gift of eternal life, even life to the dead. And so what did he preach on? The very first sermon in Australia. He preached on Psalm 116, verse 12. And that's the verse there. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall I render to the Lord? You see, that is, how should I, as a Christian, as a disciple, respond to the God who has been so good to me? It's a very important question. How do I, what do I offer to God who has everything already? What do I offer to the God who has given me everything I have and own? And so that was the first sermon. He reflected on that. And if you're ever in Sydney, you can in fact go to the very place the very first Christian service was held. You'll see this monument not, not too far from Martin Place. And inscribed on the monument, you'll see... These words of Richard Johnson being a chaplain to Australia and that verse, that verse, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And you see that very first sermon in Australia, it still remains relevant for us today as Christians. Still very important for us to reflect on today as Christians because like Richard Johnson as we also reflect on all that God has done for us and all that God has done for you, that is the life he's given us, the family we have, the friends we have, the, the hope and joy and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of heaven as home and also the wonderful, glorious adoption into the family of God as his children so that we can call God Father. God, in his gracious love and all his benefits towards us, we really need to ask that same question that Richard Johnson asked. We must joyfully, willingly, freely ask, what shall I render unto the Lord? What shall I render today unto the Lord? And so what do you think it is that we shall render? Now, even as we reflect on this, we can never think 
that our rendering unto the Lord is because we're trying to repay him. We can never repay the Lord. He's given us the life we have. He's given us eternal life. He's given us his own son who died on the cross for us. You can never repay that. And so rendering unto the Lord is for us to reflect on all that he's given us. How do we live in response to that? And the only right way is to render our whole life, our love, our worship, and of course our service unto the Lord. It's the only right way to respond to the God who's been so good to us. And that means all of us in our church, from the very young to the very old, to those who feel able, to those who feel unable, to those who feel gifted, to those who feel ungifted, it is for all of us to render our service unto the Lord. All of us. And that's why one of our core values as a church is that we are to be a church of service-centered members. All of us involved in serving, out of response to God, serving God and serving each other. We are never to be a church where we just cross our arms you know, and, and we wait to be served. And I've expressed it in the past. It's not like going to church. It's not like boarding a cruise ship where we wait to be served and wait for the butlers to come around and to help us out, where we expect the service just to be top-notch. Otherwise, I'm complaining or I'm off. That's not the flavor of church, nor should it be the flavor of our church. But we remember our King, Jesus Christ himself. It's just unimaginable to just fathom the Lord of the universe that he would come not to be served he deserved to be served for sure he's the king of the universe he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and if our hearts are so moved by that so moved by the love of God we can do nothing but render our lives and service to God and that's why we are to be a church of service-centered members. That is to be the heartbeat of our church, where we all see every single one of us, new, old, young, old, every single one of us, we all have a part to play and an important part to play in the life of this church in rendering our service to God. But then what does that look like, especially in the church? Well, what we see here, uh, let me encourage you, keep your Bibles to Ephesians 4. What we see here is that we are to look like an organic body, a living organism where we all have different parts to play and very important part to, parts to play, but they're different for the good functioning of the body. In the first reading from 1 Corinthians, you, you heard, the different parts of the human body, they, they can't take the function of someone else. You see, the brain cannot be my hand, nor can my hand be my kidneys, nor can my kidneys be my feet. They all have their specific purpose. And that's a wonderful, beautiful picture of what the church life is meant to look like. And that's how, in fact, exactly, God designed his church and how Jesus has given different and various gifts to every single one of us so that all of us, it, it might seem small or big, whatever it is, we all have an important part to play for this church to be healthy and this church to be growing as each part renders their service to God. 
And so we see this in verse 7. You see, it's, it's up to Jesus himself who gives the gifts. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Whose idea is it? Who decides how we are gifted and what place and what purpose we have? It's up to Jesus. In the wisdom of Jesus himself, he apportions the gift as he so chooses. And so some of you are gifted musicians. Some of you are gifted singers. Some of you are astute in your finances and accounts. Some of you are great teachers. Some of you are wonderful administrators. And some of you are even great gardeners. They are all gifts apportioned by Christ himself in the kindness of Christ for the building of the church. And do you notice here in this passage, the gifts are not abilities or skills or talents. They are there in other passages, but here the gifts are people. Do you notice that? They're in fact people. In other places, Paul speaks about abilities and talents, but here he highlights the gifts as people given to the church. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now, what do you find interesting about that list? What do you find in common with all those gifts? Do you notice they're all speaking gifts? They're all people who speak the word of God gifts. Instead of apostles and prophets, they spoke, declared the word of God. The evangelists, they proclaimed the gospel. The pastor, they minister with the word of God. And the teacher, they teach from the word of God. Now, what do you think Paul highlighted only those few speaking gifts? In 1 Corinthians, in the first reading, all of them are gifts, every single one of us. But why did he highlight only those here? Well, is it not to show how important it is that the church is shaped and grounded in the word of God? If we are to grow and mature in any way, it must be grounded in the word of God. And that's why it was also one of our other values, word-centered teaching. And so what that means then is that in our church, in the life of our church, It is those who teach our little ones, just as they went out into kids' church. Those who teach in creche. Those who teach in kids' church. Those who teach on Friday evenings, our youth group, our youth leaders. Those who teach in our growth groups. The way we are to understand them is that they are, in fact, God's gift to us, to the church, as they teach and handle the word of God. And what it also means, now you might find this hard to believe, but as one of the ministers, I am God's gift to you, the church. Now you might not like that gift much. You might like a refund for that, for that gift. Unfortunately, that won't be happening. Uh, no refund, but there will be a use-by date anyway. But you see, myself, along with Ollie and Michelle and our elders, we are God's gift to the church. 
as we handle the word of God and bring the word of God to bear on your lives as you are changed and transformed by the word of God as we render our life and service to God. But now we need to read, for what purpose did God give those gifts to the church? We see pastors and teachers are given to the church not for their own sake, but so that every single member in the church is equipped, is prepared for works of service, is so that all of us will be involved in rendering our lives to God in some way. And we see the fruits of that already in the life of our church, don't we? We see the, the life of service amongst so many of you. That little trivia before, 50 to 60%, and of course, perhaps even more, because so much goes unseen. And we see it as we even look at the little ones amongst us. Even the little children and youth, they're serving Christ and serving the church in some way. Now, do you remember last year around Easter, just before, I mean, before Christmas, sorry, the children's Christmas service, as we saw how all the children got involved, wasn't that so heartening? as they listened into their teachers teaching them and as they were prepared and equipped for service, as the little ones were introducing the songs and praying and doing the welcoming. Wasn't that just heartening to see that and to see that more and more as they grow up into youth age? And so teachers, pastors given to the church so that all the church will be equipped for service everyone rendering our lives to God. And that's why I'm so grateful and thankful to God for the gifts he's given our church. I'm so thankful that there are people in our church who can sing and sing well. And I'm sure you're thankful for that too because otherwise I'll be singing and it'll hurt your ears. I'm so thankful that there are folks in our church who are diligent with the finances and the accounts and our great managers who manage our property. I'm so thankful for the wonderful administrators in our church. There are quite a few, in fact, a, a small handful of wonderful, just so organized administrators. They're always ready for me to call upon them for help, and they're always willing, joyfully, to, uh, willing and ready to help. I'm also so thankful for the wonderful families who are so warm and hospitable. Even last week, 12 homes opened up to show warmth and hospitality in that way. I'm so thankful for, for those who always encourage, always have words to encourage, to build up a brother or sister. Those who commit people in the life of the church to prayer. Those who are always thoughtful of the needs of others. I mean, this is how the church is equipped for service as we all serve one another. And of course, they are only some of the many ways in which we are equipped and prepared for service. And so that's what we see. Have a look at verses 12 to 13. Why did Jesus give the church pastors and teachers? Verses 12 and 13. To prepare God's people for works of service. You see, that's everyone serving. And for what purpose? So that... The body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Which means in a church like ours, in fact in every church, my works of service and your works of service is only complete not only when we feel or think we're mature, but that every single member of the church is mature and united. And when do you think that happens? Well, of course, what that means is that our works of service will continue until really the day we die, as we render our lives and service to God. We can't be satisfied with only being mature ourselves, but we need to only be satisfied until everyone is maturing, which means it will never happen until Christ returns. And so it's why we are to be a church of service-centred members. It is for all of us, and I, I do want you all to feel you all have a part and place. You make a contribution towards the mission, towards the cause of the gospel, from the youngest to the oldest. And now we read, we do so as one body. It's just a beautiful image. The one body, many parts, all different functions, but the same purpose, as one body. You see, being a Christian means you belong to a body. And we all have an important part to play, which means no one should ever say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be a part of the church. It just doesn't make sense. God did not make us that way. You see, being a Christian is not like playing, playing tennis. You can play tennis alone against your opponent. You just play for yourself. It doesn't matter whether you play good or bad. It's just for yourself. Being a Christian is not like that. You cannot be a solo Christian. Being a Christian means you're part of the body. So it's a bit more like playing team sports, soccer, football, where you need your teammates so that you play together for their good and they for your good. You see, we need each other. And without the church, we can't do that. Which is why Paul goes on to speak about this next bit. You see, what do you think could happen? And you've probably seen this and witnessed this in your own life, and I certainly have. What do you think would happen if Christians claim that they can go out alone? I don't need church, I don't need to belong to any local church, I can just be a Christian as long as I read my Bible and that's all okay. Well, what tends to happen, and what I have seen happening, is that they grow cold in their faith until one day they just throw it away. I mean, how many people do you know have grown up going to Sunday school and youth group and even professed faith in Christ and even baptised but now no longer walking in the faith, now no longer even a Christian. I reflected on my youth group that I belonged to when I was growing up. In my youth group of only about 10 when we first started, less than half of us now profess faith in Christ. Most have fallen away. It is so sad. Why? Because if we think we don't need the church, but if each one of us, we're rendering our lives to God as service-centred members. Then, then we can see verse 14. Have a look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves 
and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Without the church, without the teaching of the word of God, without us to support each other, to correct each other, to rebuke each other, to encourage, to spur each other onto loving good deeds, without each other, it's very easy to be deceived and taken away. You see, we need to see the church as a body, like a family, an organic, healthy family. And that's why, if you've been here for quite a while, you'll notice that the language we like to use is we are a church family. It is a church family. And a family works well when we all know our part and the importance we play in the building of the family. It's just like your own family, isn't it? In your own family, we all have a part to play. In my family, our kids have a job, and they have a part to play for the good of the family. And so Esther, my daughter, she has the job of cooking rice. That's her job. She does a pretty good job at it. It's not too hard, not too soft, better than me. My boys, they have a job. Their job is to do the weeding. They did a bit of that yesterday by force, but they did it anyway. And it's my job as the man of a house, as the man. My job is to poison the weeds, which I did yesterday, sprayed it all down. My job to kill the spiders. My job to bury the goldfish that, that we had, our only pet. But in the church family, we all belong to the church family and this church family. And our place is to always seek each other's good to serve the needs of each other. We need each other. We are needy ourselves and we need each other as we render our service to God, as we grow as the body of Christ. It is a beautiful, organic picture. And so we see in our final verses, look at verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love. You see, that's one way we can all go about serving, speaking the truth in love. Not, you see there, not truth without love, which is just cold and heartless, or love without truth, which is shallow and empty, but the truth in love. And then we read on, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now do you notice that? It's very clear and simple. Which part? Each part. Every part doing its work. And so no one should ever be thinking, I have no part to play. I have no place to be here. No one should ever be thinking that. I've got nothing to offer. Not true at all. Every single one of us, we all have a part to play. And I couldn't help noticing in verse 16, do you notice the word together? It's so important. It is together. It's why in our mission statement as a church, we're making and maturing disciples of Jesus Together, when we were workshopping that mission statement, it was so important that we had that word together because we do it together. 
several months ago, I, I came across a story, an interesting story about, do you know the great sequoias, though, those huge redwoods, the biggest trees in the world? Heard of that, about the sequoias? Tallest trees in the world. They, grow, they can grow over 100 metres tall. The oldest one that's in existence today is over 2,000 years old, which means as old as back to biblical times, heavier than 100 elephants. Now, why is it they're able to grow so tall, so straight, so tall? It's because their root system, they don't go deep, but they go out far and wide and they intertwine with all the other roots of these surrounding sequoia trees. And so they intertwine, which gives them that tremendous strength and stability against all the forces of, of nature, all the wind. And it's why redwoods, they don't often survive alone. They always grow in communities. When I heard that illustration, I thought, that's a wonderful one. I'm going to write it down and I'll save it for an illustration. It took me a few months before I could use that, so here it is. There's the illustration. But it's a beautiful picture of how the church can grow. We, in fact, need each other, where we are in community, supporting each other and growing together. And that's why we are to be a service-centred church, where all of us render our lives in service to God, because he is worthy. But ultimately, for what purpose? Why serve in this way? It is ultimately for the glory of God. For the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God. We want to, desire to serve our Father in heaven. It is ultimately to him we render our lives in service. So what shall you render unto the Lord? The first sermon preached in Australia. You can see why it's so relevant even today. For Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does that mean for you today? Well, for some of us, I suspect what this message does is that it is both a challenge and an encouragement. As you reflect on how you're rendering your lives in service to God, it is both a challenge and an encouragement. And I want you to reflect on two questions. Ask yourself these two questions and search your own heart. The first one, do I feel like I'm a service-centred member? That's the first question. Do I feel like I'm a service-centred member? Now, for some of you, you're still very new to our church family, so take your time, be loved, be served, be cared for. But eventually, you'll have to ask yourself that question as well because you're part of this church family and you are a valuable and important part of this church family. You have a place to play in maturing the saints in speaking the truth in love, in building up the body of Christ, whether that is organically or even hidden. A lot of the service goes unseen. And so I'm always thankful to God because a lot of the service goes unseen. I do not see everything. In opening up your homes, in discipling, in praying, 
much goes unseen, or whether that is wholeheartedly taking up a key responsibility in the church. If you're new, take your time, be loved, but eventually that is the question for you to ask yourself. Am I a service-centered member? The second question is this, and this is a challenging question. So you reflect on your own heart. You reflect on your own heart before God, but it is worth asking. Am I receiving more than I am giving? Am I receiving more than I am giving? Now, I don't mean here those of you who are in a very dark and difficult season of life. And that may be a very, very long season where you do need the care and love and support. In fact, we all do. And you feel like you just need that to persevere each day, to live each day, to get through each day. If that is you, do not feel like a burden because you are not. You are not a burden. In fact, you are a joy for the church to love and to serve you, for the church to be stretched to love and to serve you. In fact, I had to say to someone very recently, I said to this person, it was in hospital, it is a difficult time for you at this time, a dark season, and I'm grieved to hear what you are going through. It was heartbreaking. But you have to not to try to get through this yourself. Don't try to do life alone. You need the church. Lean on us. Lean heavily on us and do us a favor by letting us, the church, serve you and love you. I remember another story at my previous church up in Sydney. One of the elders, he, he was, who was an elder, which meant he had a significant responsibility in the church. He felt like he wasn't carrying his weight. How can he be an elder but yet not be seen to be doing that much? But you see, for him to look after his family well, four children but two of the boys with autism. It was a lot of work for him and his wife to just raise their family. But you see, for him and for his family, we're not interested in what you do. What is good for him is just be faithful. Live a life as a Christian should. A godly life without bitterness, without whinging and complaining. And he was in fact serving the church that way by modelling what Christian living looks like. And so it's not about doing stuff, but it's about living the life that Christ has called them to in that season of life. And so his feeling of not carrying his weight is unfounded at all. For, them to, for him to raise his family in a godly way, to point his children to Christ, to bear the weight of all of that, that is enough. That is how you serve us by showing us how a Christian is to live. And so for some of you, and you perhaps know who you are, it may be a difficult season and it may be a very long season. It may even be the thorn in the flesh. You serve us by not doing things and doing stuff and getting yourself into rosa. That's not what we're interested in. But as you live out your life in godliness, 
even amongst suffering, and you show us how to do it. That's how you serve us. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we do need to ask that question. Am I receiving more than I am giving? If you give everything else in your life, wholehearted attention, your career, your leisure, your pleasure, you give it wholehearted attention, but your service of God and his church is lacking. Then how should you respond to the God who loves you so? How should you render your life unto him? Once in a while, you'll find requests from upfront or even our newsletters, help, help us for crash needed, help us to help out at a Bible study uh, while the parents are meeting. In a service-centered member church, don't you just expect those positions to be filled immediately? Wouldn't that be what you expect? But he doesn't. Perhaps because some of us are just thinking, well, someone else will do it. Or that job is just not for me. And, and so what happens? We leave it to the same people serving again. And so perhaps this year, consider, if this is your church family, what can I commit to as I render my life and service to God? Encourage yourself, challenge yourself by what God has said and speak to one of the staff or the elders. We want to help you flourish and use the gifts God has given you. But now for some of us, this passage is challenging and encouragement. But for some of us, we just have to remember that if we are serving, it is a privilege and it is an honour. It is not a right. It is a privilege and it is an honour. Those of us who may be doing much, we need to remember that it is a wonderful, joyful responsibility that has been entrusted to us to grow the church, to mature the saints, whatever that may look like, whether officially or organically as a family. And if we've been entrusted with much responsibilities in this church, it's not for us to look down upon anyone else because it's a privilege and honour to serve. We all have a part to play. At my very first staff meeting this year with, with our staff now, Ollie and Michelle, I did a staff induction with them and I went through with them our principles, our, our, uh, the, the ground on which we are to love and serve and function. And I spent some time reflecting with them and reminding them we are in this place with those responsibilities because it is a privilege. It is not our right. And if you reflect on it, what honour and privilege it is. For you who are serving in so many ways, what privilege and honour it is for you to be involved in such a way. And we need to remember God does not need us. I mean, God can run the church himself. He can do whatever he wants. He is God. But that God would use us, would use me in all my frailties and use you in the way he has made you to build this church, it is an honour. It's how I always feel reflecting with Yvonne. 
What a privilege it is to serve this church. And I'm sure you feel that way as well. What a privilege it is to serve this church. And so Richard Johnson, he preached that first sermon in Australia. It is still relevant. We need to ask that again. What shall we render unto the Lord for all his benefits for us? And the only answer is, it's everything. Let's pray.